This past summer, um, we had the ladies and men concurrently in the book of Titus, and we did that for three months. The ladies were concentrating on Titus 2, and the men went through all three chapters. And if you guys have, uh, and it's a short book, but if you've read through Titus, you understand how powerful it is and the many jewels that it contains. And Paul wrote this epistle. It's his third pastoral epistle. While he was in Macedonia, he writes it to Titus, who was in Crete. And he wrote it with the emphasis on church order and organization. Also in there, it shows what happens when you have good leadership making disciples. And that's where we all come in. And so the title of the message is, But As For You. And I'm going to look at, but as for you women, as for you men, and as for you church. So Paul writes this to to Titus, much like he did to Timothy. He's encouraging a younger pastor. Both of the pastors had a great challenge. And what the first interesting thing that I see here is that Timothy was the pastor of a large metropolitan church in Ephesus. Titus is on the island of Crete, but both are pastors over people who are creating challenges. So it's interesting the difference in the churches, but still the same challenges. And when false teaching starts to creep in, that's when the enemy gets a foot in the door. And then our own fallen nature, between those two things, he gets to divide and distract what God would have us do. So in either place, were the people very easy to, to get along with, and both of those pastors needed a lot of patience and love. So first, uh, we're going to look at chapter 1, and initially, um, that was not my, in my notes to go through the qualifications of an elder. I really wanted to just focus on the men and women uh, and the responsibility contained in a church and then look at what we should be doing collectively as a church. But then in recent days, the Lord had impressed upon my heart that the importance of church leadership as it applies to the discipleship of the church is very important. So uh, we're going to go through that, and that's what most of chapter one is about. So I'm going to I'm going to read chapter 1, and we'll look at the qualifications of an elder. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commitment I'm sorry, to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a, man be blame, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop, just another term for elder, must be blameless, 
as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, <clears throat> excuse me, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast a faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abdominal, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the depth of your scripture. It is eternal, Lord, and we are so thankful for it. Lord, may we, may we be a people of the word, a church who, Lord, makes the word the priority. Thank you for it, Lord. Lord, now as we dig into this study, Lord, may your heart and words be mine, and Lord, anything of me, please remove, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so when I look at uh, chapter one, there's four things that I think are important to look at. First off, it's a longer greeting for Paul than usual. Usually, it's grace and peace to you from the Apostle Paul. But no, he has a pretty long, several-verse greeting here. And what it does, it establishes a relationship between God's Word and the church. And that is why this book is so powerful. And then number two, we see why Titus was to put elders in place. He was to set the church in order. They were lacking that. Then we see the qualifications of these elders. And lastly, we see the issues that the elders have to deal with. In other words, what's their job? So I want to look at a few things just in the greeting that shows us the relationship of God's word in the church. In verse 1, we see the phrase, according to the faith of God's elect. Keep in mind, Paul's willing slave, willing servant of Christ. And it was his purpose to share the faith. And in particular, the truth that's contained in God's word. And God's elect are those who are already trusted in salvation through Jesus Christ. So right away we see that Paul's ministry is to evangelize the world, but also equip the saints. The second phrase in verse 1, the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Godliness is an important concept in Titus. The word itself is only used once, but good works is used seven times, and that is to illustrate a godly life. 
we will see that good works is what is exhibited in a healthy Christian, and it's an outpouring of living a life devoted to Christ. Our lives are transformed from the ungodliness that we used to bring upon ourselves to holy living by the truth of God's word. The third phrase I want us to look at is in verse 3, and it says, according to the commandment of God. God's word is revealed through preaching. It is not the act of preaching that changes us. It is the content of God's word. So even though we have a preacher here in Pastor Tim who is gifted, it is God's word that remains the priority in his life and in this church. The word of God was committed to Paul, uh, we've seen in 1 Timothy 1.11, and now he's committing it to Titus. And this ministry was by the commandment of God. It, belong, it belongs to the Lord. Turn, if you would, please, to Galatians chapter 1. I want to look at something quickly. So go left in your Bible, four or five books. Five books. Galatians 1, verse 10 through 12. And this is what we see. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This ministry belongs to the Lord. Pastor Tim and, and is the main caretaker of it as our pastor. Uh, the elders have a, uh, an equal share in that, but he's first among the elders. The fourth phrase <clears throat> that we see within this greeting is in our common faith. Plain, plainly seen here, our faith is what we have in common. Some depth of teaching right there, folks. Um, there are non-denominational and denominational churches that we share that common faith with. There might be some non-essentials that we don't agree with, but they're non-essential, and our faith is still in common. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Any falling away from preaching Christ and Him crucified starts down the trail of false teaching then we would not have anything in common with them, okay? That changes everything. A lot of that's going on, okay? A lot of that is happening right now in this present age. So in these four verses, we see the importance of God's word within a church. And so Paul's writing Titus to make the word the priority of his ministry. Why would that be? It is because God's word changes lives. It equips the saints. We all become better equipped for the ministry. And then lastly, the church stays on the right path. Once the, the word of God starts to fade into the background, Satan has an open door to divide. 
I've seen it in churches. Uh, it's very prevalent right now where um, programs and personalities are too visible. It's not God's word that is bringing everyone here. You know, it's some program or personality, and that's trouble. It's, it's a lot of trouble because then that personality sometimes becomes too big or that program is um, what draws people. God's word is, is what changes lives. It's not those types of things. Warren Wearsby, who, uh, as we prayed this morning, I think it was um, Tawan who was praying this, and he was talking about some of the great um, pastors who have recently gone uh, to be with the Lord, Pastor Chuck Smith, um, Adrian Rogers, and others. And Warren Wearsby is one of those guys, and I read his um, commentaries and uh, his writings a lot. And, um, and he's one of those guys that's towards the end of his uh, life. He's somewhere around 90. And, but anyway, I, I love reading him, uh, the things that he's written. And he, Warren Wearsby said this about uh, churches. He said, local churches ought to be Bible schools where the Word of God is taught systematically and in a practical way. And uh, that, that's really what, if you think about our church, that's what we are. You know, we want to uh, continue to teach verse by verse. And if you've not been to a Calvary Chapel prior to coming here, if you're new to it, that's probably the one thing that we are most known for. We teach the word verse by verse. So in the greeting to Titus, we see what is important for church leadership in the body, and so now we're going to take a look at the uh, qualifications of an elder. Uh, hopefully you see that in, in all of us. Um, if I didn't think that you did, I probably wouldn't have wanted to put this in my notes. But um, So the naming of church leadership is very important. And this is what, Timothy is ta- uh, this is what Paul is talking to Titus and to Timothy about uh, in the naming of elders. Uh, it is a very, very important job uh, in the way that you, the men are, are um, qualified as elders. Uh, it's not, um, fortunately, God doesn't look to have the most gifted man, uh, nor does he look to have anyone who desires to be that, in that position. Although it's okay to desire to be an elder, if that is motivating you to be an elder, that's probably not what God is looking for. So he said, so Paul wrote, to find men of these types of character. So in verses 6 through 9, these are the attributes we see. I've seen about 15 of them. Uh, Blameless is mentioned twice, but I'm only going to talk about it once. Uh, So number one, an elder ought to be blameless. So the sense here is an accusation couldn't stick to him, whether it is in his neighborhood, um, in this ministry, or or on the job, uh, there's nothing that, there's no attack that would stain the church, okay? That, an elder must have that type of reputation. Number two, he should be the husband of one wife. The idea here, here is he's a one-woman man, all right? I don't even know how you would want to have more than one wife, <laughs> really. I love my wife, by the way. Okay. Um, and I'm ha- I, she's all I need. That's what I actually mean, honey. That's what I mean. Um, now, 
That was bonus material. It wasn't in my notes, as you probably could tell. Um, now, could an elder be married a second time? Yes. There are certain biblical criteria that must be met for that to happen. Could an elder leave his wife for another woman and be an elder? No. That is not biblical. So there are, um, there are ways for you to be an elder and married a second time, but there has to be biblical uh, criteria that are, that are met. Number three, children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. If a child lives under the roof of an elder, that child should be, um, have reverence for their father and also really should be living as, live, living as a Christian. Um, once that child is outside the roof, outside that home, they then have to make their faith in Christ their own. So that wouldn't disqualify an elder or a pastor. And I would tell you there's a lot of pastors, well-known pastors, that, you know, have, this, have a prodigal. But, and and we, we pray for prodigals on Thursday, but we should continue to, um, while our children are in our home, pour Christ into them. And if you've been here the last couple of Wednesday nights when, with Pastor Joe, um, he said that while we have our children, we should be pouring into them. We should be bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And then at some point, they have to come to faith on their own, okay? It's not their parents' faith. It's no one else's faith but theirs. So that is our, responsi our responsibility, and that primarily falls on the husband. Next, number four is self-willed and and in my study this past year, this term has just flew off the page at me. And the reason it has is because this is something that, um, as we see in leadership in this church or in any church, if a man is self-willed, he wants to do things his way. And he does not want to um, submit to another man in this church. Maybe it would be Pastor Tim to some degree, but maybe not. And we, and we just can't have someone who is constantly losing the battle with pride. It's something we struggle with. I understand that. But you can't always lose it. You can't always be the one who is, you know, you have a proud self-focus. You know, you, you want to be noticed. You want to you be in front of it all, and you want to just, you have to have a certain standing, and that's not what God demands. In fact, he demands humility. So that's the type of um, red flag that we look for, and not just an elder, you know, that's in a, as a deacon or someone who leads a ministry. Um, being self-willed is a, is a frequent disqualifier. Number five, not quick-tempered. He doesn't want to argue at the drop of a hat. He's not loud, quick to lose his temper. That's the sense we have of someone who is not quick-tempered. Now, you get me in an, into a discussion of football or baseball, I might get a little excited, but I won't be angry, okay? So there's a difference between 
being quick-tempered and, and kind of losing your temper at the drop of a hat. An elder needs to be under control. Not given to wine. An elder, well, of course, should never be a drunkard. But there is extra responsibility on someone who is a leader in a church that if we were out to dinner, my wife and I, and you've seen me drinking a glass of wine, and perhaps you've, you've struggled with alcoholism in your, your life, you know, would you suddenly think it's okay because, you know, a leader in the church is, is having a glass of wine? You probably would, or at least might cause you to have pause there. That's what I, that's what I can't do, and that's what Pastor Tim won't do, or, or, or Russ, or, or Scott. So, again, get the sense that it's something that a, an elder needs to be under control, not violent. This, again, goes to being under control, but you're not quick to fight. And as much as it depends on me, I don't want to fight, right? I wouldn't want to fight as any elder. That doesn't mean I wouldn't protect my home, though. That's a different story. But it's not, you're not quick to, you know, throw down with another guy, okay? You're not quick to do that. Not greedy for money is number eight. And we should all be joyful givers, not takers. And if you're an elder in this church, you're not an elder because of the pay. Number nine, an elder should be hospitable. An elder should want to share those good things that God has given them with those in the church, those that aren't in the church, those that are lost. I mean, that, we should want to open our home. That's what an elder should want to do. A lover of what is good. And we see good, the term good in uh, Titus several times. But a lover of what is good is he associates with those things that are good. They're good for him, good for his family, and good for the church. Sober-minded. The idea here is that an elder must think clearly. He must know how to deal with serious matters. He knows the value of things, and he does not cheapen the ministry in any way. Sober-minded does not mean that he doesn't like to have fun or joke, because I know, if you know me, that I, I, I like to have a good time. But there's a time for that, and you have to know when, when it is time to be serious about a matter, and there's time to be more relaxed. Number 12 here is just. He's a man of integrity. He practice, practices what he preaches. He's, he's right towards men, all right? So if he's just, he's right towards men. Number 13, holy. He must be right towards God. His vertical relationship with the Lord must be a priority. So 12, he's right towards men. 13, he's right towards God. 14, self-controlled. He's right towards himself. He doesn't need something to control him. He understands the importance of being an elder, and he keeps himself in line. And 15, and lastly, he must hold fast the faithful word. The elder must stick to the faithful word. He's not about fads or programs. Those things aren't. They're not important. I mean, we, we want to reach out to the lost in different ways, but the word is always central within it. So the elder must be sure of the word so he can share it with authority and confidence. And these attributes are all important for leadership, to be used of the Holy Spirit and to edify the saints. 
And if you're not doing that, you can't be successful in God's eyes. It doesn't matter how many fannies are in the seats. G. Campbell Morgan said, Lord, save us from the tyranny of numbers. Would we like to have more people here? Sure, and because and, that would likely mean they're saved. For that, God adds. That's, you know, we, we, we plant seeds, we plan, and, and, and we do those things. But success in God's eyes is preaching the word, you guys being discipled and raised up. Yesterday, as I was, I was you know, been done for Friday, I took off to kind of finish my notes. And, and so yesterday, I was kind of done with everything. And at least you think you're done. The Lord usually has something for you. And so uh, I put in my, as I, as I changed something in here to, to put successful in God's eyes, I looked up, um, I just went to a search engine and I said, America's largest churches, right? So a bunch of things popped up. I checked the first one. And so I look at the top, well, I actually looked at all of them. They showed 100. So I'm looking at the top 10, though, and I'm just looking, and um, some of the guys I, I know pretty, you know, I know how they teach pretty well. And I will tell you, in the top 10, I've seen four or five false teachers, false teachers. I'm not talking about guys who, um, you know, don't teach verse by verse, or I'm talking about false teachers. There's four or five of them, churches with more than 10,000 people. So there are, you know, this is the times that we're living in. Uh, you know, Russ and I were talking and praying before the service, and, you know, as I told him about that, he, you know, he was, he was just reinforcing that. You know, those are the times that we live in. It's that, this present age, it's dark and getting darker. I'm very thankful, though, for um, the men that I've seen raised up in this church. And more and more, uh, I see the potential in them, you know. And uh, so we named seven deacons earlier this year. And um, we have another uh, deacon in training. Um, so I, I see men being raised up, and, and that is a great blessing for me anymore because I, I really believe that the Lord has uh, made one of my main ministries to see men discipled and, and raised up. And, and many of you men that I'm looking and scanning through right now, I, I see the potential that you have in the Lord and what He wants to do in your life, but it's incumbent upon you to take those steps to be used. So I see the growth spiritually. And uh, I think of what Pastor Chuck Smith said um, as he watched the Lord do a work. He said, I, I feel like I'm a spectator watching the Lord do a great work. And that's really how it, it feels for me on, on a different scale, of course. But, you know, I, I love seeing what, what God is doing in men and, and see them raised up because it's such a privilege such a privilege to be a leader in your home or in the church. It's, it's a great calling upon our lives. Men, you can take a little bit of a deep breath. We're going to get into the women's side pretty soon here, but um, it gets, I get excited to see what, uh, how, the, how the men are, are um, being raised up in this church, and, and, and I see so many more that um, if they would just allow the Lord to be the Lord of all, 
in their life, what they can do as well. So, All right, men, take a deep breath. Because we're gentlemen, we're going to look at um, the women's role, all right? So, but as for you women, that's what we're going to look at next. So that's in chapter 2. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Let me read that. But as for you women, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, yeah, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Just remember, there's enough for everybody here, so don't get too high or low, women, men, okay? Um, all right, so the sense of older women and older men um, teaching the younger is that the older men and women have... have um, been walking with the Lord a little longer. They have, uh, David Guzik says, they have um, been through the school of hard knocks. So, you, so you've experienced some good times, probably have had some tougher times, and you could share that wisdom, godly wisdom, um, with those who are younger in the Lord. Now, the counsel to the younger members are not only warnings, their encouragement, okay? So uh, the mature seasoned believers don't need to be cranky old folks who, uh, you know, just kind of give you warning upon warning. And uh, because if, if that's the way we were, who would want to be a Christian? Who would want to be a leader? You know, that's like if you told, um, if you told some, you know, a couple that's getting married and they want to have a family that you know, childbirth is like giving, you know, having a, trying to push a watermelon through your nostril, and then you don't sleep for, you know, months and months. Uh, who's going to want to do that, right? Who's going to want to have a child? So there has to be a balance. Everything's a balance on, you know, those things that are good and those warnings as well. So the first attribute we see in an older woman is for her to be reverent in behavior. And the sense here is that she considers all of her duties and behavior to be godly. It's the way she dresses, the way she carries herself. All of her life, she honors God. And women, married or not, it's, it's a holy calling. You know, when you don't consider it that, you could see a lot of what the world does. But it's a holy calling for a woman, particularly a wife uh, with children. Next, we see that she's not a slanderer. And a slanderer is it's the same word for devil. Uh, so gossip and slandering would be the devil's work. And James warned uh, uh, about the inability to tame your tongue uh, in very, uh, very fresh words. Uh, on, and the tongue is, uh, a, you know, it can easily light a fire that can burn down a forest. It's, it's the rudder of a ship. You know, it's very powerful. And so we see that in Scripture... Women are warned frequently about gossiping. So uh, a mature believer needs to understand when to be quiet. The next warning we see is not given to much wine. Uh, this was a common failing in Paul's day. Uh, you cannot walk in the spirit and be, use of, and be used of God while drunk, on, uh, drunk with wine. 
The next phrase is the teachers, the teacher of good things. And here we see the embracing of the whole ministry of a woman. She passes on the things that are valuable in God's economy to the younger woman. Um, so it's not only boundaries and fences, it's those positive things as well. You know, those things, those blessings that a mature believer uh, has in their life, and it's by virtue of the godly life that they've lived. This summer, the ladies um, went through Titus 2, and um, I know it was, uh, the ladies, you know, really loved it, and and it was a blessing to them, and, and it was encouraging to the ladies, too. And part of it was very practical in nature, where they would go to different homes, and some of the ladies, um, you know, were very gifted in organization. Others, in, you know, leading a devotion with their children, or um, how to put together, um, or how to, how to save money as you buy groceries or whatever. So practical teaching. And I know some of the ladies here changed... Um, made changes in their homes based on that. And that's the type of thing that we need to continue to do. Now, in verses 4 and 5, we see how the older women are to encourage the younger women. And the first uh, encouragement scene is for the younger women to love their husband and their children. And, you know, wives and mothers have a unique sphere of influence in their home. And, um, you know... I've heard it said that, you know, the man is the head of the home, but the wife can turn the head, right? And there's truth in that. And there's times where my wife says something to me that is I very much need or something I've missed or, you know, there's, she's very helpful to me in my ministry and in, 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 in a lot of areas. So they have a unique, um, a unique influence uh, to, to uh, uh, how they how they encourage their home. Now, that influence should be heavily salted in love. It should be um, the, the, the thing that you see most coming out of their, um, their mouths and the way, they, the way they act and the things that they do. So love should dominate the way they influence and encourage. Next we see they are to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. And the idea here is that the wife is to be sober-minded and self-controlled. There's a discipline to her life and to her home. And chaste means that she has a pure love for her, her husband and children, and it's evident in her actions. And then we see the term homemaker. And I think the ladies use this term over the summer, too. A better term is a keeper of the home. She manages the affairs of the home. And, you know, the notion today in the world is that the home is a prison to a woman. And obviously that is not godly in any, in any way. Now, does that mean that a woman can't work outside of her home? No. She still is the, the keeper of her home. She still cares for the home. For me, I love coming home to my wife. Whether I am at a meeting, running errands, at work, that's when the home is a home for me. When I come home and she's not there or, you know, there's been times in recent months where she was visiting her mom, you know, for health reasons, 
Um, it's just not the same coming home to, to that house. So she's the keeper of the home. She makes it what it is. Next we see that wives are to be good. Boy, that's a pretty general term. But the translation here is really that she is kind. She does not rule with an iron fist. She practices the law of kindness, seen in Proverbs 31.26. And men, I know you're waiting for this one. She's obedient to her own husband. Several times in Scripture, God tells women to be submissive or obedient to their husbands. Now, this does not go over very well with the feminist groups. Um, it doesn't go over well at all. <clears throat> so, and by the way, you ever, those are some angry ladies, by the way. They don't even look happy to me. They just look angry all the time. Um, anyway, God speaks to wives about being obedient or submissive in Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18. So before he tells the husband his responsibility, he says to the wife, you must be submissive or obedient to your husband. Why would that be, ladies? Because it's hard for you. It's hard for you to do that. And I don't mean that in a harsh way, but that's a hard thing for a wife to be always submissive and obedient to their husbands. And some of the ladies are sitting there going, well, you don't know my husband. Um, well, that's right, I don't. But God doesn't say, be obedient to your husband if... He's a perfectly Christian, mature believer, which that man doesn't exist anyway. So there's no, you don't get a, an excuse or a do-over or anything like that. You were directed, commanded to be obedient. So there's a struggle for women to do that, and I, and I get it. Men, we're going to get to our struggles too. So uh, before you elbow your wife, um, you might want to hold off. <clears throat> so women, if your husband is not everything you hope and pray that he would be, maybe his faith is not as strong as you think it should be, maybe it's shallow, pray for him. Be a discreet, chaste homemaker. What he is doesn't change what you should be. And that's going to flip in just a few minutes. So no matter what, ladies, that's your charge. If you're a grandparent, as my wife and I are, we want to encourage our daughters in this way. And we want to set the example in our own home, and that's the, what we want to see in the homes of our daughters as well. All right, men, you're up. But as for you men... Let's look what it says here. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing, to evil, nothing evil to say to you. First, we see the word likewise, which means that some of the same characteristics that Paul wrote that uh, were for the women or now for the men as well. And we again see the terms, uh, term sober-minded as it relates to men. 
Men, again, it's, it's about being under control. If I think about what God calls a man to be, it's similar to the church in that a man should be stable, under control, balanced, um, not known for any one thing, but kind of um, secure in, in being, you know, the head of his home, the head of his family. There's a stability to him. He's not carried about by fads or programs or this or that. Straight ahead, just like a church. That's why men are so important in a church and in their home. In fact, Titus was to emphasize this. He said, exhort men to be sober-minded. They are to take life seriously. Next, we see a pattern of good works. Men are not to just be teachers. They are to walk the walk, walk the talk. You can't be taken seriously if you say one thing and do another. We have enough hypocrites in the church. The... uh, you know, the world will tell you that. But men, you know, let's, let's be stable, sober-minded, controlled men that can be counted on in our home and in our church. Then we see in doctrine, show integrity. If you don't take the scriptures seriously, you're going to be in trouble. And you are not going to be able to lead your home properly and godly. Then we see one who... One who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Again, it's about having an accusation that can't stick to you. There's no one in your workplace, in your neighborhood. You know, I, I think of, um, you know, I work with someone who's sitting here today, um, and some of my best part of my day is when we just talk about the Lord and what's going on in our lives. But if I was, if he's seen me, um, differently at work, you know, raising my voice, poor choice of words, you know, stepping on others to get where I want to go, those type of things. I mean, I would be a hypocrite to him. That's a, I I would never want that to happen. And in the same way, he he sharpens me. We have these talks that uh, are good for both of us, so we keep each other accountable. Man, all of these things don't come overnight. Um, and if you're, if you're not there yet, because it's a moment-by-moment moment experience to lead your home and to be a leader in the church, and you only can do it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it takes time to get there, uh, particularly if you're a new believer. So where do you start You know, if you're not doing any of these things? Well, start reading the Word, and then read it to your family. That's, that's a good start. That's a good place because you know God's word so valuable. We can't do it in our flesh. We can't do it even if we know God's word because knowledge will puff us up. We have to do it by his leading. And it's only our dependence on him that we can act accordingly. The characteristics we see in Jesus is what we try to emulate. He was fully God but a humble servant. So no matter a position in the church, men, we are all to be humble servants. We cannot be lazy. 
And we can't be Tony Tough Guy to walk humbly in the Lord. We can't be lazy towards work or lazy, lazy toward God's word. Just as our wives must be disciplined in being the keeper of the home, we have to be disciplined in our relationship with the Lord. Early in our marriage, um, when I would, you know, I'd come home and you know, I'd feel like, you know, bringing home the bacon, bring my, bring my family to church on Sunday. I thought, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. That's lazy. That's lazy, men. If that's all I did, that's not enough. The teaching you get here Sundays and Wednesdays, if that's all you got, that's not enough. Okay, that's still lazy. And there are steps that we must take day in and day out to become closer to him. You know, there's a, a saying that says, I'm not lazy, I just enjoy doing nothing. That's lazy. I still fight it. You know, I, I, have, um, I leave my house about 5.30. In the morning, I get home about 5.30. So that's a, that's a pretty long day. I'm sure people have longer days than that. But there's times where I come home, and, and I just really don't want to do anything. But yet there are times that God is calling me to meet with somebody or to pour into my family in some way. And when I do that through his leading, I have peace. And he gives me the strength to do that. We talk about Bonaire on Sundays. And, and, you know, the men and women that go in there on a Sunday evening, twice a month, you know, it's not like you're, all right, let's go. Hey, can't, can't wait to get it. No, you, you, sometimes you get home and you eat and you just want to relax. And it's, but, you know, they're faithful to go. And, and we could use more, more of you to, to come out. And I encourage you to see Aaron after the, after the service. But we can't be lazy men. When I listen to the, to the Holy Spirit, and I do those things even when I am the most tired, there's a peace in that. When I don't listen to Him, and I think I'm getting rest, I'm not resting because the Lord's convicting me of my lazy nature at that point. So... I really just want to be obedient to him. So men were to provide for our wives and our families in the way that God has prescribed. We're to bring them the word. Lead them spiritually. Protect them from harm and provide for them practically. And it's a place of privilege. It's not a burden. I used to think it was, but it's not. And the more that I stand in that place, the greater the blessing. And I just want to encourage you guys to don't, don't get to a plateau and be comfortable there because it's easy to do. We've all, I've been there. It's that uncomfortable step, that uncomfortable next step that God leads that allows me to, to be closer to him and more in touch with what he has for me and my family. So it's a place of privilege for us, just like it's a holy calling, a holy calling for uh, a woman to lead her home. Guys, it's a, it's a high privilege for us. And I want to comment to kind of tie this all together uh, in Titus as it relates to women and men. And men, we're happy to see that Scripture says that wives should be obedient to their husbands. But in both those places I talked about, Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18, he then goes on to say, 
Men, love your husbands. Uh, men, oh, that'd be bad. Men, <laughs> men, love your wives, right? Husbands, love your wives. So why does he say that to us? Why does he say to men to love your wives? Because it's hard for us. And you're sitting there saying, well, it's not so hard. I love my wife. To love your wife practically, tenderly. There's a difference. We can say it. You live it. A few years ago, I read this, and uh, God gave me this picture, so I'm going to give it to you. In Proverbs 5.19, God describes the marriage relationship like this, as a loving deer and a graceful doe. And I think of a buck with a rack, strong, different than the doe. Then we have a, a graceful doe. You know, they're, they seem kind and gentle. But that is the relationship that I see for a husband and a wife. So men, we need to be strong yet tender. And they're not mutually exclusive and... Our wives want both. So Tony Tough Guy needs to be Tony Tender Guy sometimes, okay? So lastly, um, for the younger people that are getting this counsel from the more mature, older, seasoned believers in the church, what's their responsibility? Well, their responsibility is to listen and to put in place that godly counsel that they get. You know, I'm thankful for, you know, the mature believers that we have in this church that it's not just the leadership that can do that. It, they also uh, lovingly encourage and, and give boundaries to others. And so we're going to look at the last few verses here, 11 through 15, and this is, but as for you, church, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works, speak those things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. We see that we find salvation through the grace of God, and it's free for us to receive it or deny it. Grace then becomes our teacher, and it disciples us. What's it teach us? It's found in verses 12 and 13. We're to be different from the world. We should live in a way that honors the mercy that God has shown us. Romans 12, 1, that we frequently... Uh, quote here, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The therefore is connecting what God has done for us, and that we should collectively, here, give back our lives as a holy and living sacrifice to the Lord, because it is reasonable given what he has done for us. Sin should no longer be the master of our lives. Our nature 
has changed. We no longer follow the worldly lusts. This present age is where we walk. It is not how we walk. Let's be different. We cannot allow the world to conform us. We're in it to walk godly. And our relationship with the Lord should be apparent in all areas of our life. We often hear church leaders say that we must be culturally relevant. Makes me want to vomit. <laughs> Here's why. As the church moves further and further away from God's word and that truth, and other things become the priority of that church, God's word kind of slowly fades away. And other things become more important. Sometimes it's the worship team. If you, you know, if you come to a church for the worship team, that's called going to a concert. The world has something for you that can fill that void. If you come to a church for uh, any program, whether it's the children's ministry, youth group, whatever it is, the world has a program for that too. You can get that in the world. And if you come to the church because you want this church to disciple your children, you're again wrong, okay? That's not what, that's not our job, that's your job, okay? As the world moves further and further away from God, we can't budge, not an inch, can't give up any ground. God's word has to be we have to have an example in this church that God's word is the priority because that's what needs to be your priority in your home, in your personal walk with the Lord. We are his own special people, it says here, and we are to allow his word to work in us if we're going to be fit for his use. We're complete because it allows us to exhort and rebuke with all authority, but we have to know his word. That's what a healthy church looks like. We have leadership making disciples and disciples making disciples. That's a healthy church. The growth that we've seen here honors God that is a spiritual growth. That is what's important in a church. It's called the ministry of multiplication. And that's what we should be about. That's what a healthy church looks like. Let's all be zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, we understand that your word is what is ingrained in our soul. Lord, we want to be a people that love the word, that love you, Lord, and that honor you with our lives. So, Father, strengthen us. Strengthen each one here. Lord, that we would yearn to open your word, 
we would yearn to, Lord, just fellowship with each other. We thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, you have given us new life. And, Lord, we can give back to you our lives because the blessed hope is seeing you face to face. Lord, thank you for salvation. Lord, may we now, as a church, honor you, Lord. We don't just meet in this building, Lord. We meet with you outside this building to bring glory to your kingdom and to honor you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.